Last week we began this uh, series uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes and uh, continue this morning with a rather lengthy passage. Uh, As you know, uh, we typically stand when we read God's Word. Uh, We stood earlier for our New Testament reading. Um, I will uh, ask you just to remain uh, seated. I am going to read the whole passage, which means the last half of chapter 1 and all of chapter 2. So uh, let me ask that you give your attention to the reading of God's Word. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over me, uh, who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I said in my heart, come now, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom. And how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, and delight, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. And then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will also happen 
to me, why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I have toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink, find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray together. Uh, we pray, O Holy Spirit, as the, the author of these words, the divine author, uh, the one who inspired Solomon to write them, would you now write them on our hearts that we might know you and serve you in this life and in this world in anticipation of the one that is to come. Through Christ we pray. Amen. So the, the Rolling Stones have a song that um, despite its terrible grammar and lack of creative lyrics um, is a huge, huge hit for them. I can't get no satisfaction, but I try, and I try, and I try, and I try. I don't know whether uh, that, you know, that, that repetitiveness, I, I don't know whether Mick Jagger was just having brain cramps that day and, and couldn't come up with better words, better options, better choices. I don't know whether that was just the best he could do or, for that matter, if I'm supposed to be impressed with his tenacity. It may just be that he wants me to be impressed because he tried and he tried and he tried and he tried and he kept trying over and over again. That song could be the preacher's theme song. In many ways, that song is Solomon's theme song. Uh, you'll remember that typically we read the preacher throughout uh, the book. It is, I believe, 
uh, Solomon, king of, of Israel. Um, but he's writing from an earthly perspective, even as we will see again this morning. This is uh, Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones is his theme song. And we get this picture in this passage of all the ways he tried and just how hard he tried to find satisfaction. Notice, first of all, I want you to see where he searched. Look at verse 16 of chapter 1. In verses 16 to 18, he's searching, he's looking in wisdom. I've acquired wisdom. I've surpassed all that have come before me. Uh, The great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom. It's his his desire to, to study and to learn. And he's looking for the answer to the question which he asked back in verse 3. He's looking to wisdom to give him that, to use his word, gain in verse 3. And you notice, and, and you'll see this phrase a couple of times, he says, he admits, I applied my heart. There's, there's a, a language of determination there. It's not like he kind of took a look down the road and thought, wisdom, yeah, I guess, okay, now I can say I tried, right? It's the, way, the way sometimes our kids try, well, did you do, well, I tried. Well, I mean, I looked at it really good and I thought, I don't know how to do that, so I walked away. That's not trying. He's applying his heart, meaning he's actually eagerly, kind of with gusto, looking for gain and meaning and purpose and value to his life in wisdom. Or, I guess he could steal Mick Jagger's words. He's tried and he tries and he tries. That's the picture of this phrase, applied my heart to know. And he comes back to wisdom again in chapter 2. Look in chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. And again, this time he's studying both wisdom and folly. And you get the sense that he's he's pursuing wisdom and at the same time weighing in the scales the value of living wisely versus the value of folly and, and foolishness. It's a... It's research. It's comparative research. He's not just blindly assuming. He's actually sort of evaluating. And he maintains his wits about him, as you might say. But of course, you recognize he's not using the word wisdom here the way it's used in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs tells you right off the bat, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to begin to know wisdom, you have to start with a fear of God. With a recognition that He is sovereign and rules and reigns over all that He has made and and has made Himself known in His Word. That's not... The perspective in the book of Ecclesiastes, the perspective here is under the sun. He's limiting his search to what he can see, to what he can evaluate. Wisdom here is a purely earthly term. You know, it's not hard to see ourselves 
already in this passage. There's, there was once a claim, and I don't, know, uh, I don't know the story behind the claim, and I don't know if it was ever true. I'm pretty sure it's not true now. It may have been true at one time, but there was a claim that Huntsville had the highest uh, concentration of PhDs in the country. That's probably Silicon Valley these days. It's probably out west now. But if that was ever true, I mean, that's a description of where we live. I mean, we literally moved here, and within weeks, watching a soccer game, Nancy's having a conversation with somebody, with the mom of, of one of John's buddies, who that week had been on the phone with the International Space Station or the Space Shuttle or something, telling them what they could and couldn't move. That's where we live. It's not hard to see ourselves in this pursuit of wisdom. How many degrees can I get? How many letters can I line up after my name? Well, but wisdom wasn't the only place he searched. He turned his attention, uh, beginning of chapter 2, to pursuing pleasures. And notice the pleasures he had at his fingertips. Just think about it for a second. In verse 2, I said of laughter, it is mad. He, he, he watched all the Brian Regan, Frank Caliendo videos on YouTube. He had all the laughter options, the comedy options available to him. He tried wine, verse 3, and, and some see there the language of a connoisseur, like he wanted to be the leading sommelier of all of Israel, wanted to know and understand and be able to distinguish wines. Some contend that there's uh, drunkenness, or if not drunkenness, at least feasts, that he was giving great feasts and, and uh, inviting people to have the fine wine and the choicest foods. In verses 4 to 6, he's an architect, he's a botanist, he's a zoologist. He builds, he builds New York City and drops Central Park in the middle of it and puts a zoo in the middle of Central Park and says, look at all the stuff I've got. He had gold and silver and the finer things in life. And in fact, you and I can go back, and this is your Sunday afternoon assignment, by, reading assignment, by the way. Uh, read 1 Kings 9 and 10. You'll see all of this. He had so much wealth, so much gold, so much silver, so much at his fingertips that the Queen of Sheba came and walked away going, I don't know what to do with this. This is impressive. Even she was amazed at what Solomon had. He not only surrounded himself with plants and animals and houses and buildings and stuff, but with people. He bought slaves and, and they got married and had other children and so therefore slaves born in his own house. He had singers, he had wives, and, and he had concubines. He had all of this at his fingertips. And again, we know 700 wives, 300 concubines. But notice the language he uses in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 2. Just glance through the passage 
and count all the times you see I or myself. And for that matter, his one use of yourself is him talking to him. So even his yourself is somebody who's talking to himself, telling in the second person, you do this, gather this up, and do this for yourself. You look through the passage, and I did this, and I did that, and I built this, and I did this, and I did it for myself. You almost get the sense, as one commentator noted, that he's deified himself, that he's figured out a way to create his own Garden of Eden, with one exception, there are no forbidden fruits in this garden. He's built it all for himself and said, now, I deny myself none of it. Dive in, enjoy, celebrate. There are no forbidden fruits in his own garden of Eden. Well, it's not just wisdom and pleasure. He actually turns his attention to labor, to his work. And in the the closing passage, he's recognizing that I work, I labor, I I turn to my, um, my toil is the word he keeps using over and over again, to find gain, to find meaning, to find value to my life there. And, And then realizes, I mean, I may gather up all this stuff, But this stuff doesn't really say a whole lot about me. Because the reality is, the wise and the fool, the one who works and collects stuff, and the one who doesn't work and doesn't collect stuff, they've all got the same end. Death comes to them all. And he he worries, he frets. In fact, he lays awake at night, lies awake. He does one of those. He stays awake at night. Because even in the night when he's supposed to be sleeping, he can't sleep because he's worried about his stuff. Am I going to leave it to somebody who doesn't care about it the way I do? Am I going to leave it to somebody who is rightly called a fool? You talk about the country we live in. Seek your value in your degrees. Seek your value in your work. Seek your value in whatever pleasures you can gather up around me. Seek your value and meaning and purpose in all of them at any given time. Cheryl Crow herself said, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. She's just singing Ecclesiastes 2. And yet the writer of Ecclesiastes goes, Cheryl, you're wrong. It is that bad. It's this great description of the world in which you and I live. And it would be great to think we as believers don't struggle with this. Right? You drive down the street and you see the mansion with the multi-car garage and all the doors are open because there's a Ferrari in one bay, there's an Aston Martin in another, you know, there's old cars lined up and, and he's got, I don't know, your favorite singer singing at your birthday party, he had it. You got swimsuit, Sports Illustrated swimsuit models, one on each arm. You got women all lined up around you. It would be really nice to think that we as Christians don't struggle with this. But we do. 
We wrestle to find our value, not in our stuff, but in God himself. Not in our degrees, not in our work, not in our possessions, not in whatever, fill in the blank, that we find here on earth under the sun. Let me just point two things out briefly. Look at verse 13 of chapter 1. I just want to make this acknowledgement. Uh, In verse 13 of chapter 1, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom. So in one sense, wisdom is an object of his study. And in another sense, wisdom is the instrument by which he evaluates all that he sees. And and we see this again, by the way, in chapter 2, verse 3. In chapter 2, verse 3, um, I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. And just when you start to think that sounds like drunkenness, you get this phrase, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. You get the sense that I maintained a clear head as I evaluated the things of this world. He's using wisdom even in the pursuit of meaning and purpose and value to his life, even if he's searching in wisdom or pleasure or the things of this world. Wisdom guides his study at the end of chapter 1, and it's the object of his study in chapter 2. In other words, He's not merely living a life of having fun for the sake of having fun as though nothing else matters in the world. He's actually evaluating. He's actually observing. It's almost like that, those, those moments when you kind of walk away going, I feel like I just had an out-of-body experience. Like you're watching yourself examine things. And that's what he's doing here. And again, let me remind you, Almost 30 times in this book, chapter 1, verse 14. I've I've seen everything that is done, and here's the phrase, under the sun. Chapter 2, verse 11. He'll say it again. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil uh, I had expended in doing, and behold, all was vanity. Nothing to be gained under the sun. Verse 17, 18, 19, and 20, they all mention under the sun. You have to remember, he's limiting his search. He's searching for all of these things in this world as though this world is all there is. Even when recognizing that God gives gifts to his people, He doesn't let that thought affect his view of his world. We see where Solomon searched, but then we also see the evaluation of his search. Remember, chapter 1, verse 3, this is the question of the whole book. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils? Under, under the sun? What's the profit? What's the benefit? Where's the, the ultimate gain in all the things that man does? That's what he's looking for. That's the question. And you, 
read chapter 2 and you too is singing in your head. He still hasn't found what he's looking for. Even though he tried. And he tried. And he tried. And he tried. In fact, he describes his pursuit as chasing the wind. Look at verse 14. Uh, 1.14. This is the danger of doing multiple chapters. You've got to distinguish. Verse 14, chapter 1. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity. There's that, that word again, the Hebrew word hevel. It breath, vapor. You go out on the cold morning and you breathe and you see your breath for a second and then it's gone. I don't think he's using that word in this book in the sense of short-lived. I think he's using the word in this, that word in this book in the sense of weightless, valueless, meaningless. There's no meaning ultimately in the things of this world. And that's his refrain over and over again. 114, vanity, a striving after wind. 117, uh, striving after madness and folly. I perceive that this also is a striving after wind. 211, all was vanity and striving after wind. 217. Uh, so I hated life because what is done under the sun's grief is all is vanity and striving after wind. You get this the picture. You ever tried to you ever tried to catch wind? You, you can drive through parts of the country and they've got these big huge windmills. They harvest the energy of the wind, but the wind doesn't stop when it hits the windmill. Have you ever tried to catch wind? Like, run outside. This, do this. At some, next time you get a good gust of wind, grab a jar, run outside, catch it, and put the lid on the jar. At that point, you no longer have wind. You just have air. You, you can't... You can chase it. You can try to... It's meaningless. It's pointless. It's a... There's nothing to it. You, it can't be done. And so Solomon, every single time he tries something new, after every, and I try, and I try, and I try, and I try, after every try, he throws his hands up in the air and goes, well, that didn't do it, so let me try something else. Well, that didn't do it. It's, that was a waste. That was like striving after wind. It's all vanity. It's all meaningless. It's all pointless and then then you watch as he evaluates i mean the wise and the fool what's the point of being wise if both have the same end what's the point of wisdom if we're both gonna die he's got this um he's got so you've you've picked up on the fact Number one, I think in songs. I think in music. Y'all know this. I think in music. Um, so my first thought always runs to, I mean, like song lyrics run through my head all the time. Uh, the other is because so many songs we know reflect the worldview of Ecclesiastes, you're going to hear songs over and over again. But it, you've got this notion of Kenny Rogers, the gambler. Remember at the end of the song, you, you're, every hand's a winner and every hand's a loser. 
In other words, whatever hand you've been dealt, you can win or lose with that hand. It all depends on how you play it. And do you remember the very next line? But the best you can hope for is to die in your sleep. Ultimately, what does it matter? What does it gain you if you had a great hand or a terrible hand? What does it gain you if you played it well or you didn't? The best you can hope for is at the end of it all, when you die, you just die in your sleep. You just fall asleep and you just don't wake up. Where's the value in wisdom and folly if they both come to the same end? Where's the value in working and gathering all this stuff if I'm going to leave it to somebody who doesn't care about it and who mistreats it? And, and I'm not going to be able to watch even as he enjoys it. Even if he uses it well, I don't get to participate in it. I miss out on it. It's all vanity. It's all a striving after wind. That's his evaluation. That's his conclusion. That, that whatever, wherever he looks for meaning and value and purpose... It all comes up empty. But I hope you noticed glimpses of hope as we read this passage. Because every now and then you get, you get that moment where you go, maybe he's coming around, maybe this is it. You get excited. Oh wait, this sounds like a positive turn. Of course, almost every positive turn in the book is followed by Debbie Downer negative turn once again. Because notice what he says in chapter 2, verses 12 to 15. While there's no ultimate gain in wisdom, it is better to have wisdom than folly. There is more gain, verse 13, in wisdom than in folly, just like there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person lives in the light. He has his eyes in his head and can see what he's doing and understands. The fool walks in darkness and has no knowledge, no understanding of what's going on. It's better to have wisdom than not. Being wise is, is better than being a fool, even if wisdom itself provides you no ultimate gain and meaning and purpose. He, he says the same thing about pleasure. Verse 10. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep uh, from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for my toil. I gave myself every pleasure and it was enjoyable. Even if ultimately pleasure is vanity and a striving after wind. Here's our struggle as English readers. We read this and think reward in chapter 2 verse 10 is just another way of saying gain in chapter 1 verse 3. Here's the thing, two completely different words. In chapter 1, verse 3, he's looking for profit. He's looking for gain. In chapter 2, verse 10, he gets a portion. He doesn't get the full meaning, purpose, value to my life. He gets something, even if he doesn't get everything. He gets some, 
even if he, he gets a portion, even if he doesn't get profit or gain. We're tempted to think, well, maybe, just maybe, there actually is meaning and value and purpose to his pleasure, to his wisdom, to his work. But he merely recognizes this is better than that. And for that matter, this is a gift from God, verse 24 of chapter 2. But this not, this, it's not profit, it's not gain, it's not ultimately what he's looking for. Notice he never lands on, since pleasure is vanity of vanities and striving after wind, you should do everything you can to avoid it. He doesn't call you to be a monk. He doesn't call you to a life of asceticism. He doesn't call you to never enjoy or anything. And he doesn't say, he doesn't take the um, uh, McClintock, um, his first name escapes me, Harry McClintock, who wrote uh, Big Rock Candy Mountain. He doesn't take that approach. Well, since, since work is so difficult and a striving after wind, then you shouldn't work. Big Rock Candy Mountain, there are no short-handled shovels. No axes, saws, or picks. I'm going to stay where you sleep all day, where they hung the jerk that invented work in the Big Rock Candy Mountain. He doesn't say work is meaningless or pointless or you should skip it altogether, you should avoid pleasure, don't bother trying to be wise. He simply says these are better than the option. And for that matter... He begins to understand verses 24 and 25. There's nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil because that is a gift from God. He begins to understand. He gets glimpses, uh, recognition of the fact that what joy he has in his work, in his wisdom, in his pleasure that that is a gift from God. The activities don't provide meaning to his life. They only have meaning as God gives it to them. St. Augustine in uh, the 4th century uh, wrote this, Almighty God, you have made us for yourself and our souls are restless until they find their rest in thee. Blaise Pascal, French philosopher, uh, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness? C.S. Lewis before C.S. Lewis was born. Of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help. Since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an, with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, Pascal says, by God himself. These men understood what the preacher is searching for in Ecclesiastes. There must be meaning, there must be value, there must be purpose, but it cannot be found in the things of 
this world. And insofar as these things give me any value, it is only because God has given it to them first. Because I find my value, my meaning, my purpose in Him. You know, there are a lot of people out there that have this notion that God is just a big giant ogre in the sky, worried, afraid, concerned that somebody somewhere might be having a good time. That's not the preacher's view. Pleasure and enjoyment of the things of this world are gifts from God, but they're not an end in and of themselves. Is your life marked by joy that comes from love and service of God in Christ? We will never find meaning or value or purpose to our lives in the things of this world. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And when we seek Him, He gives meaning to the things that we do, the toil, the labors, the struggles that we have under the sun. Are you pursuing your value, your worth, and your work, and your, your wisdom, your pleasures? Are you, are you pursuing the American dream, thinking that will make your life meaningful? Or are you seeking to honor and glorify God in all the things that you do, even in the way you work and enjoy this earth, and enjoy fine wine and feasts, and the pleasures of this life? Our real purpose is found in Him and in Him alone. Let's pray together.